Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. are some numbers for your consideration from Harper's Magazine. Many of you know about the Harper's Index. Well, for example, the average cost of an abortion in the United States is $606. The cost of giving birth is $13,393. The percentage of American evangelicals who deny original sin is 65% and uh, who deny the divinity of Jesus Christ is 43%. I wonder, right? And here's some more. The percentage change this year in American adults who say they are thriving, minus 14%. They need to listen to some songs that we have going on here. Who say they are suffering, plus 100%. The estimated age at which adults are unhappiest are 40, is 48. 48 years old. Reflect on that a moment. The percentage by which Democrats are more likely than Republicans to be afraid of crowded spaces is 40%. By which women are more likely than men to be afraid of crowded spaces, 59%. And the percentage of Americans who say they aren't afraid of anything is 16%. The portion of U.S. parents who can't afford diapers for their children is one-third, one in three. And the percentage of Republicans that Democrats believe make more than $250,000 per year, 44%. The percentage that do, 2%. Yes. The percentage of Democrats that Republicans believe are atheist or agnostic, 36%. The number that actually are, 9%. Makes you think, doesn't it? Our theme for the month of December is the path of wonder. Two weeks from now, I plan to talk about the common criticism of naturalistic observation-based thinking, that criticism being that there's no awe or wonder without some kind of deity. So often we non-theists hear about what I call the ain't gots. You ain't got salvation, you ain't got awe and wonder, you ain't got a God, and we have this whole list of ain't gots that many project upon us. That's in two weeks. But today, I want to look at the subjective, personal power of wonder as we each work to construct a self from day to day, especially in this kind of difficult time of year for many people. After all, as the Harper's Index reports, the percentage change this year in American adults who say they are suffering is 100%, which is um, kind of a high percentage, I think we could say. Uh, but we need to think about how to worry less and wonder more, I think. It appears to me that orange is no longer the new black. Anxiety is the new black. Everybody's got it in this trend. 
In our anxious time, and especially at this time of years, as the holidays go on and now Black Friday seems to be in an entire three-month season or something, right? And uh, people like me get overstimulated. I mean, then I hear little drummer boy rump-a-tump thumping for the 99th time today, right? And many of us just want to go hide under a rock somewhere. Let me breathe for a while. But I want to suggest an alternative to withdrawing or gritting your teeth and surviving that merely doing that. Alice Walker, an American Humanist Association Humanist of the Year, wrote, the more I wonder, the more I love. The more I wonder, the more I love. And I want to suggest that grabbing the wonder of this time of year is the best way to survive it instead of just cringing before that next rendition of Little Drummer Boy, wondering why in the heck is there another cover of Little Drummer Boy? There can instead be wonder, what do people hear in that song? <laughs> Last week I quoted Bell Hooks on the need for a spiritual awakening in the US. She also wrote, all awakening to love is spiritual awakening. So that's what I want to consider today. Grabbing the wonder, awakening spiritually by doing what the Roman philosopher Seneca said, it called rubbing off the soul rust, rubbing off your soul rust. You know, the Greeks had gods for just about everything, and the Greek god of wonder was Thomas. Now, Thomas is often pictured with his wife, Electra, the sea nymph, and of course that is where we get the term electricity, uh, morning becomes electra, right? The image is about that place where the light meets the sea's surface, and there's this shimmering that occurs that probably most of you have seen, and that's just a wondrous event, isn't it, to see that a magical shimmering, and that's what the Greeks were talking about, wonder, and wonderful. It's about an astonishment at, at how beautiful this could be and how could this even happen. And, by the way, Cindy, one of the children of Thomas and Electra was Iris, the god of the rainbow. Uh, the rest were harpies, so they were a little less ple pleasant than, than Iris was. You know, it's a dysfunctional family life in some way. One of the wonders of humanity is that we've been anatomically as we are for roughly 200,000 years. But the oldest cave paintings and the carved objects we call the Venus of this or that, wherever it happens to be found, those are roughly 50,000 years old. So what was humanity doing for 150,000 years before we got around to creating visual images or musical instruments. Were they singing a cappella all the time? Maybe, I don't know. The oldest musical instrument, as you might expect, are resonant stones. You can make one yourself. And also, of course, flutes made from animal bones. At least that's what they have found so far in terms of musical instruments. Were those carved Venuses considered sacred? Was painting in the caves a religious activity? That's a good question. 
As I discussed last Sunday, the concept we call religion was not separated from other aspects of human life for most people, for most of human history. Religion, rather, was something that people did. It was ritualized activities, it was modes of thinking and feeling, but it was integrated into everyday life. You didn't just do it on Sunday morning. Notice how the things we tend to think of in terms of religion or spirituality tend to be those things that people no doubt have long wondered about, you know. Are there any gods? What would gods be doing if there are some gods? Where did the cosmos come from? What's the pattern of the stars? What are they doing up there? Do they tell us something? Why do people suffer? Why do people die? Do the dead go to another plane of existence? What are our obligations to our fellow human beings? to other animals, what are our, our obligations to nature itself? These are the sort of questions people, I suspect, have always asked. I wonder why 65% of American evangelicals deny original sin. I thought that uh, the born in sin but saved from hell through the sacrifice of Jesus was the central evangelical story of Christianity. I wonder, why is that changing? I wonder why 43% of American evangelicals deny the divinity of Jesus. I thought that was a Unitarian thing, right? <laughs> but yet, we've got 43% of evangelicals. What's up? I have to wonder. Maybe it's that exvangelical hashtag that's going around nowadays. We often use the terms wonder and awe together as a phrase, awe and wonder, it comes slipping off the tongue. But I think we do need to differentiate between those two a little bit. I, I think there's a little bit of fear of something in the idea of awe. It's large, something's big and unknown and maybe potentially dangerous out there. Whereas with wonder, we're invited into contemplation, aren't we? I wonder, hmm, that's interesting. Temples and cathedrals are big and awe-inspiring and make you look up. That's awe, right? The Niagara Falls, Grand Canyon, really big stuff. That's awe. Wondering is smaller and more friendly, I think. For example, the numbers I shared from the Harper's Index aren't designed to rock your world. Rather, they make us go, huh, I didn't know that. I wonder where they got that number. I wonder, why is it that people are unhappiest around the age of 48? Huh. I wonder, why are Democrats 40% more likely than Republicans to be afraid of crowded spaces? Huh. I wonder, where did they get those numbers? Does that stat reveal a character trait that makes people more liberal? Is that how that works? I wonder. I don't know but it's something to think about. Human engagement in science and architecture, the arts, religion, has always been an exploration in wonder and in awe. And I think that wonder is probably our most creative emotion. Now, you may have read about the protests against censorship that are going on in China at the moment. One part of that protest that I find absolutely wondrous is that people are showing up with blank signs, you see in the picture there. 
That's the kind of thing that the wondering human imagination can create. If you're going to censor everything I do, by golly, I'm going to show up with a blank protest sign. It's creative, it's subversive, and it's memorable. Because the human mind is a wondrous thing. How about the marshmallow challenge? Have you ever tried that? 15 pieces of spaghetti, uncooked, I quickly add. 15 marshmallows, and then you have 18 minutes to build the tallest tower possible. Have you tried that one? Think about it for a moment, and, now, and then wonder which group of people can do that best the fastest. And, not surprising, architects and engineers are the number one group that are able to do that. Who comes in second? Poets? Teachers, musicians, physicians, lawyers, nope, kindergartners. <laughs> sure, right? Architects and engineers, they've studied how structures work. They have already invested some wonder in how that all works. But kindergartners, because they have no idea how structures work, actually, so they just wonder about it, and they keep messing around. They don't get frustrated and give up or quit. They just keep wondering. We human beings are problem-solving animals, and it's because we wonder and then we discover. But in day-to-day -day life, we can forget the wonder. You know, we go into the blah, 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 same old, same old cliche, and suddenly, I get surly and curmudgeonly about it because I'm just, I got all this self-talk going on in my head about how dull some things are or how nerve-wracking things are. That's why the book Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind by Sinru Suzuki is still one of the best books on Zen Buddhism. If you haven't read it or listened to it as a book on tape, do so. I would strongly recommend it. It's really the best introduction to Zen Buddhism. And the most famous quote in there is, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the experts, there are few. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the experts, there are few. That's the wonder that we're talking about. Famous quote, it's about stereotyping less and wondering more. It's about accessing your inner kindergartner. And then I have another quote for you from the book. When you do something, you should do it with your whole body and mind. Again, think about kindergartners, right? You should be concentrated on what you do. You should do it completely, like a good bonfire. You should not be a smoky fire. You should burn yourself completely. If you do not burn yourself completely, a trace of yourself will be left in what you do, end quote. And by that, he means ego, which is the thing that Zen Buddhists want to get out of our lives. Because that's what we learn, isn't it? We learn to be an expert in something. And then we learn to pretend to be an expert in a lot of other things, right? Because we never want to really feel like we're incompetent or we don't know how to do something. Now, as some of you know, I'm a fan of the business guru Seth Godin because he really doesn't talk about business very much. He talks about spiritual things a lot. And here's something that he does in his presentations. You can participate or not, but he comes out and he asks people, he says, hold up your hand. And people hold up their hand. All right. 
Then he says, hold it up higher. And that's his point. We hold back. We have learned to not give 100% because we're afraid of being asked for more than 100%. And so we save something back from ourselves. It's unconscious. You don't think about it. You've simply had that hammered into you by the culture itself. We're often fronting in anxiety about someone coming along and asking something of us that we don't know the answer to or we don't know how to do, something that we're not an expert at. And so we learn to front and to hold back. You know, it's the hokey pokey thing, right? You put your whole self in, you take your whole self out, but we learn to pretend to put our whole self in, but we're not doing that. Which goes back to Alice Walker's point, the more I wonder, the more I love. More, more, more. Seth Godin also has this to say to us. Even the longest biography is only 66 hours on audio, he says. This means that the author has to leave out almost everything. We write our own autobiography, he goes on to say, each day by deciding what to focus on, what to rehash, and what to worry about. The same life story can be told in many ways, and the way we tell it changes who we are and who we become. Who, he asks, is editing your version? How are those 66 hours? of your audiobook obituary going to read. You decide, you decide. It's a very good question. Who is editing your story? Is it you with your whole self in, or are you holding something back, even unconsciously, because we learn to do that? Are you and I grabbing the wonder or are we sheepishly leaving behind the last piece there because we just can't bring ourselves to be that big in life? Remember that stat. 100% of surveyed Americans expressed anxiety. That's a convincing majority. I wonder what we can do about that anxiousness. And I think that Suzuki was right about that. Quote, you should not be a smoky fire. Get out there and be a bonfire. Burn yourself completely, as he phrases it. As Alice Walker uh, phrased it, the more I wonder, the more I love. Humanity is where we are today because people for 200,000 years have said, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. But let's be sure we go with Alice Walker's second point there as well. The more we wonder, the more we love. Because, let's face it, you want meaning, you want purpose, then I've got an answer for you for meaning and purpose. Wonder and love. Thanks for listening. You can find much more 
about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.